Hello, and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart, and in this episode, we are talking with Sean Holmesby from Hedgehog Development. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I think people might be able to guess from your accent that you're not a uh, native New Yorker. I think everybody, uh, everybody <laughs> may, may or may not know that, that Hedgehog is, is actually based out of the New York area. So uh, what, where, where are you originally from? Yeah, uh, no, that's right. This isn't uh, your typical Manhattan uh, accent. This is an Australian accent, uh, originally from Melbourne, Australia, um, and moved over here just over four years ago. Um, started working with Hedgehog four years back, and yeah, been loving it here. Yeah, yeah. So, what what is it like being an an Aussie living in New York? Yeah, it's um, I mean, it was a different experience um, moving here, tiny apartment and everything. But you know, like I mean, it's New York, so there's just always something to do. Um, I do enjoy it. I do miss home as well. I sort of want the best of both worlds, and you know, possibly something like the endless summer sort of thing. You know, go back to Australia in summertime there, and come back to New York when it's summertime here because the the winters are just brutal here. I can't do them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I would personally, I think that the the culture shock to me would be like really really warm weather around Christmas time. I think it would be kind of <laughs> it would be you know growing up in the in the in the U.S. Midwest, uh, you know. I'm used to the to, to those uh, to those cold winters, and then uh, you know, kind of the the hominess of of it being cold out and huddled around the fire at, at Christmas time. I, I'm I'm guessing that's not a, a common occurrence. No, no, it's much different. I love it. You back there, it's you know, you're on the beach, you're having Christmas barbecues and stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think that would be different. You know, and I I, I would guess in in this day and age too, with the, kind of the, the the global presence of the internet, you know, a lot of the comforts from from home are are, are still available. Whether it's you know, whether it's you know, TV shows or, or what have you, or, or sports. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just have to deal with a bit of the time zone difference with Australia, but. You know, still on phone calls to the family as much as I can and, you know, um, head back there whenever I can as well. Um, always enjoy being back there. So I, I think, you know, you and I were talking right before we recorded. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that Hedgehog, you know, anybody in the Sitecore world probably knows Hedgehog from uh, the, the, the great developer-focused products they have. And I think we can talk about those in a bit. But I think, that you, you, just to be clear, you don't actually work on, on the product side. And I think a lot of people don't realize that Hedgehog's actually a full-fledged kind of Sitecore implementation partner as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, when I first came over to work for Hedgehog, um, I was also surprised with that. You know, I knew Hedgehog from, you know, back then it was uh, TDS Classic and uh, Razzle. Um, and I sort of thought, you know, that's what I know of Hedgehog and uh, know of Hedgehog and what, what's the difference there with what you actually do day to day. I work, you know, as any other Sitecore developer does, working on websites. You know, um, my role is actually I'm a solutions architect. So, you know, I'm doing the day-to-day stuff that most people are doing. And with that, you know, I happen to use the tools that uh, Hedgehog have 
Um, at the moment, you know, I'm working on the Comcast project. So, uh, you know, Comcast team, it, most people will know from symposium presentations and stuff that, you know, the, the Comcast project is massive. There, there's over 150 developers on it. We've, the, the infrastructure has been talked about before. It, it's huge. There's over 270 CD servers just in production alone. Um, you know, along with staging, integration, QA, dev servers, you know, it's a massive, massive project. So that's the stuff that I work on day to day. I'm, you know, in the weeds like everyone else is. Um, but in terms of the, the tools, you know, I, I'm, I suppose I'm just another user. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting as well. Hedgehog's always been a huge proponent in the community is, uh, from, from their kind of virtual uh, virtual users group series of, of, of webcasts. I know I was, I was part of that a few years back. Um, I think going way back, talking about page editor stuff back when it was still the page editor, um, as well as just kind of having that virtual users group place. I mean, Hedgehog definitely has been, uh, been a force in the community in terms of kind of keeping things organized. Yeah. Like that's something that sort of a passion within the company itself. You know, we we love being part of the community, talking to people about new things. You know, we have our own tools, but we use other tools as well. Something like Sim, the Sitecore Instance Manager. You know, every developer, that's a must-have within Hedgehog. You know, we love being part of that. We love being, you know, presenting at user groups or going to user groups to learn from other people. Um, you know, the, the online user groups have helped a lot of people, Mike Shaw has stuck it out a couple of times and done the 24-hour hosting of uh, the virtual summit. Um, I couldn't do that, no matter how much Red Bull you could give me. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's just a passion that we've always had. You know, we hope to learn more and and help everyone within the Sitecore community continue to learn as well. Right, right. So you had mentioned you had mentioned Comcast as your customer, and I think for for I think most people listening in the U.S. will probably know who Comcast is. Um, you know, for those uh, potentially outside of kind of North America, Comcast is is probably one of the largest, if not the largest, provider of both cable TV services as well as. Um, as well as internet service to most Americans. And if I remember right from their presentation, they're in 45 metro markets, um, you know, again, one of the larger providers. But as a solution architect on that, um, just given the scale of that that project, they're running all their web projects on Sitecore. What, you know, what are some of the interesting observations you've seen come out of uh, a project at that scale? I think a lot of us might be used to, you know, a big team to us is like eight people working on <laughs> on something, and then you you mentioned there's there's you know well over a hundred uh, developers working on that. I, I guess what are what are some of the kind of key takeaways you've seen working on something at that scale? Yeah, I think um, some of the stuff that is a little bit different. I, I mean, for starters, with that many developers on the project, and um, we have that many different features and, and I mean it's a multi-site solution as well. Um, we have a huge split of the code base uh, amongst different solutions. Um, so then we sort of have uh, you know sort of layering techniques with the architecture there and we have tooling based around that to say you know which tools uh, which projects can deploy what files and and not clash with other projects. Uh, every project to be on the same NuGet package versions, things like that. Um, in terms of that, you know, it's there's a an, an overhead to the stuff that we've done to make sure that we can actually live in harmony with that development. Um, we make sure that there's 
all these processes with things like Team City and Octopus Deploy happening correctly, generating configs on the fly, publishing NuGet packages on the fly, um, consuming NuGet packages on the fly. Everything has, uh, you know, just gone into this big thing of let's make sure that we avoid the whole butting heads between the projects, you know, with so many solutions and so many developers, you can't just always rely on face-to-face communication to do that, you know. Um, so with that, you know, our, our solution has got an architecture um, somewhat similar to Helix. I think this has sort of been started a long time before Helix came along. Um, but with that, you know, we sort of have similar to a foundation layer and similar to like a, a feature layer as well. But with the split across the solutions, it doesn't quite fit so nicely into, um, you know, the perfect slides that you see with the Helix presentations. Yeah, and I think, you know, Helix is, for, for all the, the fanfare, I think uh, a lot of us get kind of lost um I wouldn't say in the implementation details, but it's just the the. If you go back to the the what what is driving it? I mean, I think why why would we want to complicate the the architecture of Sitecore with something as as prescriptive as Helix or or non-prescriptive, depending on your take? And it, it's you know, I, as I was explaining it to somebody else the other day, it's 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 a case of you could build Sitecore kind of however you wanted to, and everyone did. So you could work on a project, you know, for for a year, eighteen months, uh, implementing it, you know, doing the maintenance on a, on a particular site, and you know, now you've got to relocate. Maybe your you know, your your spouse got a new job, and you're relocating to another uh, you know another city, and you you know, like, ah, I've got Sitecore here. Here's somebody looking for Sitecore. Um, or, you know, you're going to move Sitecore partners and then all of a sudden, like, wait a second, none of this stuff is in the, the, the same spot. So I think a lot of it was just to kind of standardize on a lot of um, just kind of how to structure uh, your Sitecore solution and, and kind of how to adhere to best practices um, around the architecture um, and, and, and kind of architectural best practices uh, on, on, on .NET projects. So I think that, that's been good, but I think there's been kind of, it, it's, it's difficult for, especially if you've got a lot of developers that are potentially not as advanced in architectural standards or, or kind of our pattern concepts that are, that are in Helix. I think it, it, it can be a, a learning experience just to learn that part of it in terms of where do I put this? Is this a foundation? Is this a feature? And then you've got, in, in your case, you've got a large code base that existed well before Helix ever came into existence. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, like some of the stuff you said there is absolutely spot on. The the fact that you know you can go from one solution to another and it could be totally different. If you had a standard there and all solutions were pretty much the same, m- makes that ramp up time a lot quicker. So you know that's one of those fantastic points about Helix that it was. It's almost like a single source of truth for how to structure it, or at least it gives some good guidelines on you know where you should start out if you have absolutely no idea. Right. Um, right. And with that, you know, we've sort of talked to, you know, a couple of people who are very deep with the, he- the Helix sort of um, guidelines. So, you know, Thomas Elblom, uh, of course, is you know, the, the grandfather of, uh, of Helix. Um, sure. You know, we, we've had discussions with him around, you know, how things are structured and things that you know, we've even thought before that don't really quite work as well as we'd like. Um, you know, one of those things is we don't like the split of every single feature and every single module as a project, 
right? You, as everyone's seen with sort of like the habitat solution. Yep. Okay, it's a it's a structure, and I get it. It's good, but we've seen projects that try to adhere to that that blow out to a hundred plus plus projects. You know, and then then you could do what we're doing with Comcast, split it out to a solution, separate solutions, things like that. But really, you know, we were sort of looking at it and going, well, do you even need it to be a separate project, right? And part of the reason around the project separation was separation of concerns, making sure that one module doesn't reference another if it's in the wrong direction, right? Yep, yep. Um, and that to us sounded more like, well, that's more of a code analysis problem. You know, something like ReSharper would just add the reference and you'd never know, right? So, right, right. <laughs> so, so we sort of thought, well, you know, what if you had your modules, like just sort of proof of concept for one thing, that you had your modules all in one project, but they were split by namespace, right? So it's still split by folder. And so therefore, Charlie Tirano at, at Hedgehog wrote these FX cop rules, the code analysis rules to actually say whether or not you're breaking those guidelines. And, and that for us, you, you know, that works really, really well because in that case, we're not suffering this overhead of the so many projects and, and the build time is massively blown out. We're using these FX cop rules to still adhere to whatever guidelines we set and our development efficiency hasn't been impacted at all from it. Sure, sure. Now, with that, some people will agree, some people will disagree, and, and that's one of the things with Helix. You can take what works for you, and it's a great starting point for certain areas, but you don't have to. Like, no one's, like, looking at it going, well, if this it doesn't completely follow Helix guidelines to a T, you don't fail Sitecore, right? Right. It's, it's just a, it's a guideline. I I agree with what you're saying with with Helix, and I think in principle the the concept of having everything as its own module in its own in its own project. I mean that that then compiles down to a single assembly, a single chunk of code that you're going to deploy. And you know you know kind of the perfect blue sky world. It sounds great because you know if you're going to update if you have to update a bug in only one component, you're only deploying one assembly. The the challenge is most people have tooling set up that they're going to run this through a build server and it's going to build the entire project out and it's going to deploy all the modules out or you know hopefully there's there's something smart enough to know it's not going to deploy it's only going to deploy uh, assemblies that have changed or modules that have changed. So I, I, I can see kind of the the thought process around it, but like as you said, if you get up upwards of a hundred. 100 projects in a solution, the, the build time alone is just, it, it's massive. It's, you know, you're, you're back in the days of, of C++ compilers. I remember being on a project, if I go way back, you know, somebody, somebody changed a header in the, uh, you know, a, a header file. And if you remember C, you had to separate that out. And that header file ended up cascading down and the whole, the whole project had to rebuild. And it was like, it was 40 minutes to compile. I mean, this is back a, a long time ago, but it's just like you're, you're back in those days. The great thing with .NET is it's been, you don't have that like huge long compilation time yet with all these projects, you know, that, that, that build time starts to ratchet up and it, you know, it, it impacts your, it impacts your ability to deploy and it impacts your developer productivity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something within Helix, they try to sort of say, well, don't think of it as a deployment thing of just one module at a time. Some people want to do that and some people don't. Um, but what we found just for what works for us, the the idea of the 
you know that full rebuild if you're doing that it just took forever um so you know we had took projects that had all the projects separated out and we applied the fx cop rules and collapsed down the projects and we found build times drop dramatically and the fx cop rules they're this you know open source thing that we've got up on our github um along with that we added things like the git delta deploy um which is sort of a it's a tds based extension again another open source thing on on github as well that you know combining those together our build times have gone from you know your seven or eight minute build times you know and that's probably good for some solutions Uh, we got that down to you know 30 or 40 seconds in some cases um those sorts of things for us, you know, people know us for our tools and our, you know, the efficiency that the tools bring. Um, on top of that, with our open source projects and everything combined together, we just want developers doing development, right? And, and that's what, you know, instead of sitting there, you click build and go get yourself a coffee and check Facebook and do whatever, right. you can actually just have this turnaround like, hey, I changed a field, and I've renamed it and I've changed the code, I want to see that change straight away. I don't want to wait however long it is with you know, uh, bad tooling or bad solution structure or bad whatever it is that's slowing yourself down. Yeah, definitely. You know, or you, you, like you said, you, you end up checking Twitter or you or Slack or, or what have you, and then all of a sudden you get sucked into something else and you realize, oh, that build completed you know several minutes ago when here I am not not actually getting stuff done. I think we're all guilty of that from time to time. The uh, you had mentioned too. I know, and not to kind of turn it into a commercial for for Hedgehog's tools, but there's a there's a really awesome tool I saw demoed at at Subcon EU this past spring. Um, you know, Charles was demo demoing Zero Deploy. If you could maybe touch on a little bit about what that also brings to the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as in line with our other tools um, that some people will know, Zero Deploy, uh, it's currently in beta. And um, again, it just goes with this whole idea of don't stop, you know, like don't don't be sitting there. And, you know, there's that famous, uh, was it XKCD um, comic that's got the two developers fighting with swords on chairs and the, the boss comes in and says, what are you doing? He says, it's compiling, right? Right. Well, the typical thing with Sitecore is it's either compiling or you're waiting for Sitecore to load. And that's the thing that Zero Deploy takes out of that thing. Like you, you won't be sitting there doing your sword fights, you'll actually be doing development. And essentially what it does is the app pool recycle that happens with any back-end change or config change or whatever um, within Sitecore, we sort of cut that off. And instead, we deploy the DLLs that you've, you're doing your development with into Sitecore itself. So therefore, the app pool actually never recycles, yet the code can pick it up and show you your latest changes. Right, right. So imagine that case where, um, you know, you, it depends on your solution, what items you've got. It depends on the hardware of your laptop and, and whatnot. But that case where you make a tiny, tiny change and it's slightly wrong, you need to make a change, but then it's going to take a minute, two minutes, three minutes for the, you to see that change on your website locally. What Zero Deploy does is it allows you to push it and reload it like it was a front-end change. You know, the there's no app pool recycle. You just see the change straight away. Yeah, and I think a lot of people hear like, oh, you know, three minutes. That's it, 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 that's that's you know, it's not that long. But it's it, it, when you're kind of in that that state of flow and trying to to solve a problem. Um, you know that that pause and that interruption of what you know sitting there waiting for your app pool to recycle 
Um, it's, it's very disruptive. And I think, you know, I, I think all the developers are in their cars or on their commute, like shaking their head and, and all the marketers are like, I don't get what they're talking about. It's only like two or three minutes. Like, and it's, uh, I mean, it, it is, is, you know, you're in that state of flow. You're, you're trying to solve, you know, whether you're bug, you know, you're doing a bug or you're trying to work out the way a, a piece of functionality is going to work, uh, you know, Shaving that time off um, and, and having the luxury that like front end developers have, if you know if you've got tooling set up to you know constantly be watching your JavaScript files or your uh, or your CSS files, such that when they change, you're not subject to the whole app pool having to recycle. And, and you know, Sitecore, to its credit, builds a lot of that stuff. You know, when the when the application starts up puts a lot of stuff in cache. There's a lot of initialization that goes on. So the, that app pool recycle does take a long time. And, and and having the advantage of not having to wait for that, especially during your development cycle, is, is huge because you, you it doesn't interrupt your developer. Yeah, and, and we've realized that, that, you know, just hearing it once that, oh, you know, you sit there for two or three minutes. Like once off, it's not really a big thing. But we've also heard of developers that are so sick of that app pool recycle that, you know, they're testing code with things like um, LinkPad, you know, and then they're having to do all the thing to pull in the Sitecore DLLs and the web config. Other people are creating their own custom web applications just to make sure that their code works. Um in terms of that, well, we've actually found zero deploy to be almost even, sometimes even quicker than attaching the debugger and actually stepping through to see what's happening. Oh, wow. You know, you could just write the code, and you could even do like you know the essential, the, the old debugging printf statements. Um, you know, log to the Sitecore logs, and you could tell quicker with the changes with your code with zero deploy than if you were actually attaching a debugger to your code. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's definitely something you know, folks to keep an keep an eye out for. Uh, you know, I, I think one uh, some of the limitations that might prevent you from looking at it is, is if correct me if I'm wrong, it's currently dependent on being on version eight two. Um, so if you're you're working on a kind of an older version, it m- may not help you. Yeah, that's correct. It, it's currently eight two. Um, that's to do with a lot of the dependency injection changes that came there, and um, and also as well, like you know, it doesn't work with everything within Sitecore. Um, Sitecore, as a lot of people will know from decompiling the DLLs, will know there's a lot of legacy code in there. Yeah. Um, but the majority of code that you do day to day, that'll work. You yep. know, so your MVC applications with your controllers, models, views, things like Glass Mapper. You can do your Lucene indexes, or as I think even Solar indexes. I haven't tested that personally, uh-huh. but all of that day to day stuff, um, that all works. And then for anything that doesn't work, we just switch it back to regular development, right? And, you know, the, the times that we've sort of heard people say about this, they're, they're like, okay, so look, it's not, it's like 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for that 60%, you know, people have said, well, that from knowing what they do day to day, this will save them an hour a day, um, which is phenomenal to think the amount of time you could save. The, imagine the, telling a client that you can cut off a certain period of time because development won't take that long. Um, that'll win win you clients over immediately if you tell them it's going to cost less. While we're on it, why don't we take a look at kind of uh, if folks, I think, uh, 
TDS is a TDS classic as it is called now, I think is a well-worn path that I think a lot of people understand, but some of the other tools in the hedgehog arsenal, I, I, I don't know if they're as familiar to folks out there. I don't know if you would want to do a, a quick rundown between um, the other two that are uh, out there like, like Fedra or uh, Razzle. Yep. Cool. Uh, so you touched on it there. TDS was originally, um, just a single tool that everyone sort of knew us for. It's sort of a, a development process and deployment tool. Um, it's now relabeled as TDS Classic, whereas TDS is the set of tools. Um, so within that, you know, we've got TDS Classic, uh, we've got Razzle, and Razzle is used for pretty much database comparison and migration. So you can connect to two separate databases, be it a, a dev and a QA or a QA and staging or whatever, and, and see the differences and then copy changes. And then you can script content migration stuff. You know, if you wanted the latest from production down to QA, um, you could script that, you know, happen every week or whatever it is. Um, so Razzle's that sort of tool. It's definitely, you know, sort of this one-off. Sometimes it's a one-off tool to get you get you out of a sticky situation. Um, but it's, you know, an absolute must for those sorts of scenarios where you're like, where is this item? Why is it missing? Or you need the latest come down to a lower environment. Sure. Um, Phaedra was released, uh, I think, within the last year. I'm trying to remember the dates that all of these came out. Phaedra is a, a front-end development tool, um, mainly for Sitecore development, but also works with the uh, ASP.NET MVC applications. And essentially, you know, we talk about the app pool recycle. Phaedra says that you won't have to do that as well, but it's a different thing. The idea is that you want to give front-end developers the tools that they're used to using. Right, so instead of having a front-end developer set up on a Windows machine using IIS, SQL Server, running Sim to get a Sitecore instance, and then using Visual Studio to do their development locally, and um, and, and basically using those tools that they're not used to and don't want to be using, you can use Phaedra to have the developer on a Mac using Sublime, um, running whatever they want and essentially see their changes within a running Sitecore site. Now, the intricacies of that are you know, a little bit uh, confusing just to sort of talk about quickly, but essentially you have a running Sitecore instance there and multiple front-end developers can access it, and all they need to do is just copy their front-end changes to that server. Right, so it's a, a Sitecore site running on a Windows server, and then each developer gets to use the tools that they actually want to use to make changes to a running Sitecore instance. Nice. And, and that also means that the front-end developer doesn't need to do a static site as well. There's no creation of a static site and then hand it over to a back-end developer to implement. Well, they have access to source control as well. So let them make the changes, let them see it locally, and let them check into source control. Um, it, this is, you know, again, one of those development efficiency things that are just cut huge times off projects. Definitely seems, it, it seems like it'd be really useful. It's, you know, breaking that, that habit of having a front-end developer, like you said, build out a, just a static version of the site and then, you know, throwing that over the wall to the back-end folks to cut up into 
into you know renderings and layouts and so forth is it seems like it would be you know definitely a way to kind of cut down on the development time you know this is one of those things that we've seen pain points in the processes over the years uh, that's how tds classic came about um, we saw a pain point in the development process and the sdlc life cycle with sitecore development and in that we created a tool that you know we used internally and then ended up sort of putting it out there and commercializing because, you know, it was, it was such a, a necessity. It was a, a way that we basically pioneered a paradigm shift in Sitecore development. Um, that's what we've done with something like Zero Deploy. People were just like, that's unheard of. How can you have no Apple recycle? Um, you know, Razzle for the, the comparison of databases, Phaedra for front-end developers, it's basically going, wow, you've alleviated the pain points that I've ever had to deal with before with dealing with Sitecore development from a front-end perspective. Um, and with that, you know, that's something that TDS Classic and, and all of our tools, all updates come from the community talking to us about our products. Um, TDS Classic, we have a 5.7 beta coming up um, pretty soon and, and, you know, release should be around the time of Symposium, I'm guessing. And the majority of the features there are the pain points that people have specifically around Helix, actually. So we've added features that really enable people to do Helix development with TDS Classic and save tons and tons of time having to not do these sort of redundant, useless processes that they've had to in the past. Sure, sure. And I, I mean, I can echo going back to when I first started using TDS. It was, it was fairly early in my Sitecore career. And um, just being able to, the, the, the concept of, you know, a lot of the stuff in Sitecore um, is, is a development artifact. And I think that's kind of the, the, the approach that Helix kind of codifies that your, your data templates are, you, know, you have code that is dependent on certain fields being there, whether you're using a, a tool like GlassMapper or you're just using native Sitecore APIs to, to get data out of, uh, out of a Sitecore item, that field has to be there. Otherwise, your code doesn't work. It's, it's, it's as important as any of your views or even going back any of your sub layouts or any of that. And, and being able to version control that along with the rest of your code was, was huge. Huge, and it was a, you know, it was a long. There was a, there was a long fight. I remember early on to get approval to purchase the product, and I, and I hear that time and time again running users groups that like, oh, we were, you know, I really wish we could use TDS, and it's, it's, it, you know, obviously it's not free, and it, and, and it took effort to build, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's not the same price as buying Visual Studio, and. The amount of time you'll save of just, I, I look back to before we had that of, okay, now I got to figure out which items I need to put into a package because uh, we were doing a deployment to production. So I've got, I've got the output of my web project and all the, you know, at the time it would have been web, way, you know, all the, all the sub layouts and the user controls and so forth. So that, that's going to go live. Now I've got to make sure I package up all the templates and, and put them into a deployment package um, that I can upload onto the production server and install and, um, uh, what if I do it in the wrong order or that, you know, this isn't installing because I, okay, you know, I forgot to add that template change to the package. I mean, that, that, that alone, I, I think when we first started using it, 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 the, the amount of time it saved easily paid for the tool right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was like TDS 1.0, being able to serialize items and, 
push them with your code into source control. Um, you know, and since then, every update to TDS has, has been either you know from features that we thought up ourselves from our own development, or things that our clients or the community have sort of mentioned to us as, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool to add this?" And here's this scenario that's getting me sort of stuck. Um, so as is the case with TDS 5.7 coming out. Um, with many TDS projects in your solution, we've got a way to sync across the whole solution. We've got a way to quick push. We've got a way to do that even faster than we've done it before. Um, people have said, what about multiple source web projects that they want to push the code for? What about code generation? What about code generation shared across multiple solutions as like in the, the Comcast example that I gave before? All of these features are things that are coming into TDS 5.7 and all the previous releases have added feature upon feature upon feature. So it's not at all just this single serialization tool anymore. It's this massive tool that's got so many things that help speed you up with your development efficiency. Sure, and I think that's where it kind of differentiates itself from. I mean, there are definitely you know, other options for serializing data out. I mean, we've had Cam Feige on the show before, and his and his Unicorn project is 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 definitely um, solves some some of the same problems that TDS solves. But I think um, you know TDS, as you mentioned, it, it goes a little bit further beyond that. I think if you're looking to just source control your Sitecore items, uh, Unicorn is definitely a uh, uh, a, a great solution for that, and, and I think Cam would would echo that. That's that's what it's designed for, and that's all that it does. Um, it's yeah. not it, it's not a lot of the other stuff that you guys have kind of moved on to. Um, or am I off base there? Uh, no, you, you're correct. Like you know, in terms of just serialization, you know, you look at the unicorn readme. That's what it says. You know, it's serialization. Um, it, it, way better than the old style of you know the packages, like you mentioned before, and a developer misses an item and or whatever it is, and zip packages are being passed around everywhere, right? Um, and, you know, look, I can't really speak too closely to Unicorn because I've only used it in bits and pieces on sort of my own side projects for testing it out and seeing if it works or seeing how to actually run it. Um, or, you know, something like Habitat, the example project. Um, and and it, I think with that, you know, as an open source thing, as a sort of here's a, a way to sort of get started with all these items, you know, fantastic. Um, for me, I get the most out of TDS from the additional features as well that it brings other than just serialization. Um, and we also have features like, you know, validations and stuff. So it's not about how quickly you can move. It's so you don't break stuff. Right. Right. And those are features that have been added in the versions of TDS over the years. And uh, I, I think, you know, as this single source of truth uh, tool that has full support, that is ever evolving with new features and everything, it's definitely my go to. So, in terms of, you know, the, the whole unicorn versus TDS comparison there, you know, it, it's been said in the community, it's not really, it's apples and oranges. And it's not really even that. Um, you know, Unicorn is the serialization um, part of what TDS is, but TDS has all of these added features for deployments, for packages, for validations, um, for code generation, for content file sync, for all these other things that can speed up development, not just that serialization option. Um, and look, I get it. You know, it's a 
serialization is a huge thing. And as I said, it's a great start on top of what used to be the old way, the old paradigm of uh, site core development. Well, we're kind of coming up on time. I, I, this this episode should go live before symposium, I guess. Uh, I, I'm, I have the assumption that Hedgehog is going to have uh, a presence at symposium this year. Yeah, absolutely. We're, um, I think, I can't remember what level sponsor, but we've got a booth there. We're going to have presentations on the tools that we mentioned, Phaedra, um, TDS Classic 5.7. You can come up and ask me for a demo of Zero Deploy and see that Zero app pool recycle. Um, all sorts of things. No matter what you've, you want to talk about, whether it be our shared source modules or just other tooling and, and processes and, and whatever else you're doing, you know, we'd love to have a chat to you. Yeah, definitely. So if you're listening to this on your way to Symposium, maybe you're passing some time on the airplane or whatever, you know, definitely, definitely seek out Sean. Sean, I, I, I can say I, I, you and I met, I think, at the last symposium formally for the first time. And, you know, Sean's a great guy. He's not, you know, Australians aren't all scary and carry big knives. So <laughs> he's, uh, he, Sean's a great guy. So, you know, seek him out. And he, I am going to be at symposium as well. So uh, definitely seek me out. I'm going to, I've got some, some surprises in store potentially for uh, core sampler listeners. So if you, if you see me walking around, uh, definitely, definitely reach out and say hi. Uh, I love, uh, I love talking to the community. Uh, and if, you know, and, and, and I'll put this out as an open invitation. If, if, if you're listening to this and, you know, think, one of the guests on here is crazy or I'm crazy. I don't know what I'm talking about or just want to, you know, come on, come on the show and, and, and talk about Psychor. I'm, I'm definitely reach out to me. You can, you can always reach me at uh, info at coresampler.fm. Um, I'm definitely open to, uh, you know, having other folks on the show and getting some different viewpoints. Uh, you know, I think I've been trying to get Sean on the show for quite a while here. I think there's, you know, that there's a growing kind of war, if you will, between kind of unicorn and, and TDS. And I think it's, I think we, I, I, everybody also knows it's it's kind of half a joke uh, in terms of, like you said, it is apples and oranges uh, comparison between the two. Uh, Unicorn definitely does some some really cool stuff. Um, Cam has done a lot more beyond just the serialization side of it. He's you know just improved the serialization format for speed and and uh, tailored it for working in a in a source control situation allowing uh, better compa- file comparisons and all that so it definitely has some stuff but i think tds is also uh much much more than what it started out as uh yeah. tds classic it is and it's as evidence that you've kind of taken all of this tooling and put it underneath the team development for Sycor umbrella because that's really what a lot of these tools are for so sean thanks again for being on the show where can where can folks find you online if uh if they're if they're not at symposium and uh, or you know just get stuck in sessions because they're learning so much great stuff and don't make it down to the hedgehog booth where can where can folks find you online yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on the Sitecore uh, community Slack, um, or you can find me on Twitter um, at Sean Holmesby. Um, I'm always around, always up for a chat. And, and you know, as you said, just on that whole TDS versus Unicorn discussion, the, just so that clear the air, there is no bad blood. I remember hearing, um, I think it was uh, Jason Burt came on and talked. There's no bad blood between Fortis and Glassmapper uh, back in the day. Um, there's no bad blood between you know the the Hedgehog team and, and you know Cam. You know, Cam and I went touring around Copenhagen at Sugcon years back. You know, it's really good to have that these sorts of discussions and these sorts of things sort of pushing forward the tooling and just the whole community around it as well. And actually, um, 
Cam is doing a talk with one of the Hedgehog guys, uh, Derek Hunziker, um, and they're actually joined by Joe Bissell from Comcast. So they're, they're going to be talking about all these deployment things and stuff. And, and essentially, that's uh, all of my worlds rolled into one, and they're all going to be speaking together at the symposium. So if you come in a symposium, get to that, check it out. Um, it'll be a fantastic talk. Well, again, thanks for tuning in. And uh, I, I will be remiss if I didn't say, you know, come and, come and find, find me at a symposium if you're there or... Uh, you know, if you can make it out to the user groups, I, if you're in the Milwaukee area, make it to the Milwaukee PsychWare users group. I'll, I'm definitely, uh, definitely love to hear from the community. And thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.